This episode of Ministry Monday is brought to you by Ministry Scheduler Pro. Manage your volunteers, accommodate service preferences, and create fair ministry schedules, all from your laptop, tablet, or phone. Learn more and start your free 30-day trial at ministryschedulerpro.com. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 181 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are so glad that you're tuning in with us today. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts each week, if you haven't done so already. And thank you for joining us. Ministry Monday will be celebrating the Advent season alongside you through our Advent series of episodes. The next four weeks of episodes are designed to provide you, pastoral ministers, with added support during, quite frankly, one of the most stressful times of our year. Please also know, in a serious note, that we are praying for you as we all journey through Advent and Christmas together. Each week in the Advent series, we will center around the psalm from that Advent weekend as well, and will be read at the end of the episode for reflection. This next episode in Ministry Monday's Advent series features a conversation with Dr. Benjamin Cornelius Bates, professor of musicianship at Duquesne University. Dr. Cornelius Bates shares tips on how to improvise on traditional and contemporary Advent hymn tunes this Advent and Christmas season. Ben's tips are practical for well beyond the Advent season, but I hope that they spark some creativity during a trying time like Advent for the pastoral musician. Today on Ministry Monday, I'm talking to Dr. Benjamin Cornelius Bates, but today, for the sake of this conversation, I'm just going to say my friend, Ben. Hey, Ben, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Amanda? I'm really well. I'm really well. If you are just tuning into this episode, uh, Ben and I have been now talking for 45 minutes before we actually started recording this episode, (laughs) because um, Ben and I have known each other for almost 15 years. Um, we went to school together. And so I wanted to talk with Ben today because I wanted to talk with you about just practical skills and tips that pastoral musicians can use throughout the Advent season. Uh, But before we get into that, I'd love it if the listeners could hear a little bit about you. So would you mind sharing a little bit about yourself? Sure, of course. Um, uh, I have... um... By trade, I guess on paper, I am a a composer and an organist and improviser. I 
when Amanda and I were in school together, um, I came to Duquesne University specifically to study improvisation. Um, I heard the wonderful organist Olivier Latrie improvise and I said, I wanna learn to do that. So I came and I studied that and I've made that uh, a, a big part of my life and uh, enough, enough that I got to compete a couple times in Europe. Um, never won anything, but that's not the point. <laughs> Um, as a composer, I have primarily worked with uh, choral music, not usually congregational liturgical music, but primarily music just for choirs, um, and a lot of organ music, although I've written a few other things as well. Um, and my, my terminal degree, my DMA is in composition. And so I'm kind of, I like to think a trifecta of things as organist, composer, improviser. And so now you teach at Duquesne University. Yes, yes, I am a full-time faculty member at Duquesne, and uh, I don't teach organ, I teach uh, music theory currently, uh, which mm -hmm. is uh, the, the classes that scare all the kids. <laughs> Except me, I will say that. I was always the person that loved music theory. I almost majored in music theory for my master's. Did I ever tell you that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I love music theory, but now you are the professor that doesn't scare people away from it. You make them no. and help them foster a love for it. That's right. That's right. Well, and actually, uh, it's an important two two day two two days discussion. Um, if you don't feel like, you know, the, oh, the only way I can be an improviser is if I have a good strong mastery of music theory. You don't. Um, it does help. It certainly does help, and I would encourage anybody to at least in part study. It. But improvisation can be, in of an end of itself, a study of harmony, and um, I. I truly believe that everyone has something to bring to the table. No matter what your background is, no matter what your skill level is, you have something to bring to the table. And otherwise you wouldn't be playing music. <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. And actually let's stay right there. Let's start from kind of like the basic foundational idea of improvisation. So do you have any foundational building blocks, if you will, for improvisation? Maybe someone's listening and they really haven't tried it or they just don't feel like they could. Would you mind kind of starting there? Yeah, that's, uh, I'm, uh, for those of you who are listening, to, just listening to this and not watching it, I'm, I'm gonna describe what I'm holding up. First thing you need to do is get a notebook. I have uh, my notebook here. Um, it is about half full. I have two more of these filled up with all kinds of notes that I make for myself. Now, um, this is a, a dirty secret of improvisation. No improvisation is truly improvised where everything is made up on the spot because we all, uh, we are the sum of all the things before us. And having a notebook is really handy because it helps us keep notes and keep track of things. So uh, that's a, a very practical step one. The second step is to just try it. You, have to do it. You don't know how, uh, you won't know how to dive unless you dive off a diving. You won't know how to improvise unless you sit down and just try making stuff up. Which on that point, let me start with, to me, what the perhaps is the greatest place to start with improvisation, which is to play music you like. For many of us, uh, improvisation can be overwhelming because we might think, oh, it's jazz or uh, in the organ world, you know, I mentioned Olivier Latrie, who's one of the organists at the Paris, uh, the Paris Conservatory and Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. My God, he's one of the best organists in the world. 
That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is just simply sitting, sitting down and exploring your instrument. Uh, just saying, I like the way these notes sound. I like the way uh, these groups of notes fit in my hands. And then the, the test of all tests that I tell folks, if it sounds good, it is good. If it sounds bad, well, it's not bad. It just means maybe we need to make a different choice and adjust that and learn from that choice. So the next time it comes around, you make a different choice. So that's part so one. Part one, part one. Do you think, uh, can you just talk really quickly the difference between improvisation and composition? Yeah, um, that's a really great question because uh, those are two different things. They can be related and in our modern age with, uh, and I'm going to use some uh, computer instruments, um, a lot of film scores and a lot of TV shows are improvised sort of somewhere between composition and improvisation. But I like to think of them uh, is it, uh, the different, the primary difference between them is improvisation. You can only play as good as you can play on the spot. And by that, I mean, like if you're, uh, if you're an amateur pianist, you only, you will only be able to improvise as well at the level you are at. Whereas composition, you can write a piece that is outside of your core skills. So let's say you can play a major scale up and down at quarter note at 100 and eighth notes or something um, compared to somebody who could you know fly up and down the keyboard at 16th notes at a quarter note at 140 bpm you know those, those two skill levels are going to be different so therefore your improvisation is going to be different whereas composition you have time to work thing work up to the level of the music itself so you don't have to be someone who is actively composing to really improvise and spend time on that craft. No, no, absolutely mm -hmm. not. Mm -hmm. I, I don't remember if this is Oxford or where I saw this definition, but I remember um, one definition of improvisation was spontaneous composition. It, it mm. definitely, the spontaneous part, and that's where it comes, where it gets tied into technique. Um, and I do like that spontaneous part, although talk how much of it actually is spontaneous. Uh, we'll get to that a little bit, but um, uh, but there is that aspect. There is that aspect of uh, in being in the moment. So let's actually, let's start there. I know we're gonna kind of dive into maybe some specifics for those who are listening and we have specific scenarios we'd like to talk through, but let's talk about that. Let's say, okay, how do you prepare to improvise? So best question of all questions. Oh, good. <laughs> Improvisation is all about planning. I, if, if there, uh, uh, I guess you could, we, we can call this my, my, my tip number one. Improvisations are planned. Um, how much of it you decide to plan can be up to you, but most, in my experience, and I think most uh, uh, organists, jazz musicians, lots of people that have come across, plan out what they're going to do. Um, I went to, um, I heard Pierre Pansmai before he passed away, I heard him play in concert and he did a little master class in organ improvisation. And the thing that's astounded me the most was he actually talked about, you know, setting up all your pistons on the organ, setting, like you have to set up all your colors and plan out all that stuff before you even begin. And I thought, oh, that's, a, you know, here we think improvisation is so much spontaneous yet there he was planning all these things out or, 
let's say in like a, a jazz tune, like there's a certain amount of time in which you will spend improvising compared to a certain amount of time in which you play the chart. So there, there's always a, a, a format or a framework in which your improvisation is going to work in. And so um, I'll get more into some details about uh, planning in a little bit. bit. Um, but that's when it comes back to having a, a, a notebook where you can write these things down and say, OK, well, this is what I'm going to do here. This is what I might do here and kind of sketch out an idea of where you're going to go. OK, so you've mentioned now, of course, setting up a framework for improvisation, which is a really good point. And I think I want to talk about that a little bit more later, too. But you mentioned something before that, to be honest, Ben, I've actually never heard before. And that is making choices that are good or bad or maybe just not not the right, like making a different choice. Um, can you talk about that again, just kind of making those choices? Yeah, let me let me flesh that out a little bit more. Um, when I say uh, there's kind of a spectrum in choice, there's always, that's why I say like bad decisions, not quite, quite the right word, and maybe neither is good. Um, you could say there's better decisions and maybe not better decisions. <laughs> okay. Try not to say worse decisions because one of one of the other tip number two that I think every improviser in pretty much every genre of which this happens is if you make a mistake repeat it yes it's a really 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 important thing because if you hear something repeated it doesn't sound like a mistake mm -hmm. um but i also want to say that if you do something you really like repeat it <laughs> yeah <laughs> um because if you like it you should do it again uh, if you find a combination of chords that sound really pretty, use that same combination again. <laughs> Those are good things. Um, just why I say uh, 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 this idea of it being not good and bad, but maybe a spectrum of uh, perhaps better choices and worse choices. And it comes back to something else I said, which is trust your judgment, trust your ear. If you're a musician, a liturgical musician, you know what good music sounds like. I mentioned the, the idea of, you know, imitating sounds you love you know that 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 then combine that component with repetition and you can start to discover the secrets of how a certain person writes a piece of music or things that they like and when you repeat them and you're trying to imitate somebody that's when you really start to uh, uh those that group of techniques then is when you can really start to begin to bud as an improviser. That's what I'm trying to say. There it is. Good. Yeah. I love, love, love the idea about repeating the mistake. I think we so panic as pastoral musicians. Like the minute we hit a wrong note, it's like, <gasps> but really, if you work it in, it's not a, it's not a mistake. I think the, the other, uh, another saying I could, should throw in there is that you're always a step away from a right note. <laughs> You're always a step, a step away from a right note. So that mm -hmm. wrong note can then just sound like a, 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 not an accident, but a, a dissonant companion to the correct note. Oh, dissonant <laughs> companion, love that. Oh man, okay. All right, so we've talked a little bit more about theoreticals. Um, can we get a little bit into some hypotheticals? Kind of maybe putting a little bit more flesh in it. Sure, let's, let's start with, uh, I, I think maybe the easiest place to start which is uh, 
post-communion, I think all of us as liturgical musicians have dealt with communions that go on for a while. Or I, I like an offertory where um, the priest decides to incense the altar. And yeah. <laughs> they take they take their time. And so we finished our offertory hymn and we need to fill in time. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, uh, that can be a challenge. So let me start, um, for those of you watching this, I'm going to share a screen. For those listening, I will uh, describe what I'm doing because I have a couple of hymns here and I have my uh, fake organ ready to go. Oh, it's kind of nice. <laughs> and uh, up here I have um, perhaps the most well-known of Advent tunes, which is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And I want to start with uh, um, one of the, the simplest and oldest ideas in all of music, and that is the simple idea of imitating a line. Um, and this can be as complicated as row, row, row your boat, or Johann Sebastian Bach's St. Anne's Fugue, which is a five-voice triple fugue. It's a great piece of music, <laughs> but it is a tough piece of music compared to mm -hmm. Row Row they're, they're both operating on this simple idea of imitation. And I mentioned that like that skill level, uh, what's amazing to me about imitation is it's so, the, the breadth of how complex it can be and how simple it can be is just, it's huge. Um, Taizé does lots of really wonderful rounds and that sort of thing that's really they're, they're fun to sing they're fun to accompany um and yet they're so simple and i just mentioned mentioned the bach a second ago or they can be horribly complicated like his organ fugues or the well-tempered <laughs> clavier fugues right um so i want to start with the simple idea of imitation and it can be um either the organ or the piano i'll pull out my fake piano in a second but take o come o come emmanuel and one simple idea is like having the left hand and the right hand be imitations of one another. And you can take, um, the way I like doing this in the beginning is simply taking one hand playing maybe a handful of notes and then the left hand imitates it. And while the right hand, while the left hand's doing it, the right hand is simply holding a note down. So. That's it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, I think that, that that sort of imitation is, you hear the line, you hear it again, and it's both complicated and yet simple. Um, and you can continue that on for a while. Um, like, like all things, I will say, you know, do things in good taste. If you do that sort of imitation for that entire hymn, it would get really boring within 20 <laughs> seconds. So you know, and that's when uh, you want to add variety to things. So maybe you imitate for a little bit and then uh, maybe add a short interlude in between a couple of those stanzas, a couple, a couple, or a couple of the phrases of the verse. So maybe a couple of pretty chords. Um, finished incensing <laughs> yeah <laughs> we're done and, and that and that 
uh, I wasn't timing all of that, but that was probably 30 to 40 seconds of music. And mm -hmm. that was simply with a little bit of imitation, I was able to get a lot, a lot out of one line of music. Mm -hmm. And it's not, and it's not too hard to do. Um, it might take a little practice, uh, but that simple idea of just playing a note, holding it down while the left hand then does the same thing. You could do it vice versa. Uh, if you're at an organ, you can also mix it up with different stop sounds. Um, if you're working with a folk group, um, I used to do this at the St. Paul Monastery where I used to work with the folk group. I'd have um, one of the guitarists take one of the lines and then I would do the imitation. And uh, if you have, so if you have a folk band or a violinist or something like that, you can, you can still use the same framework in the same way and just prep just prep your musicians a little bit and all of a sudden, and actually that's, I will say that's really fun because then you get in like this conversation thing with your instrumentalists. And um, I think it's a, a, a really simple, but really effective way to take a one line of music and draw, draw it out a bit. Cool. I love that idea. Well, let's that, that now let's say uh, if you're planning these things out, you know, I say you have your notebook and you plan this out. That's one plan is like, hey, well, in case, in the case of, let's say, communion, uh, some of us have had to play communions where they go on for 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> the choir has sung a choral piece you've sung, uh, or, or the congregational sung, sung a piece of music with a really good, strong chorus, so everyone can sing along with that. The choir sings, you know, some sort of acapella piece and only half the congregation has gone through. So now you have to fill in seven more minutes. <laughs> so, so first, let me, let me speak to uh, one, one piece, which is um, really, this is the easiest kind of music to make. And I think this is particularly effective for the season of Advent, which is to use silence. Uh, we often don't talk about music that isn't there. You know, rests mm. are notes too. They're just notes we don't play. Um, that you can use space in things to really affect, I mean, if we're thinking nuts and bolts about time, you know, we need to fill in a lot of time. Well, then use some of it in silence. Let me kind of demonstrate this a little bit. So let's take that Okam Emanuel again. going I but you can kind of see that 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 effect of like a little bit of space there really leaves it leaves it almost like a it's almost like a question mark but I yeah. think that's really fitting for advent I think that's a really mm -hmm. powerful way to I don't want to distract you're not trying to distract people but draw them into the mystery and the anticipation that is the advent season mm -hmm. so I and and honestly it's the easiest thing to do as a musician is to just not play <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't, I, and I'm going to say, I don't know how much this came through in the, I don't know, I, I don't know how much it's going to come through in the recording, but I definitely, I definitely took a breath before I started playing. And that can, um, if you're, if you do use silence, I would 
highly recommend using breath as a big part of it. That can help you figure out how long that silence should be. There's definitely too long. There's definitely too short. Um, if you're in a very reverberant space, you might want to, you know, have more time. If you're in a very dry space, you might want less. Um, but I would use your breathing to really let that um, let that be drawn out. Another another one is another really nice technique is to let a melody slowly unfold. And um, I'm going to switch which tune I'm using. I'm going to go over to Carrie Landry's Waiting in Silence. This is out of the Breaking Bread hymnals. And I like this, I like this tune because I think you can let it unfold very slowly. And by that, I mean, is like only introduce a couple of notes at a time. Now, I'm going to also combine this with one other really nice idea, which is to have a, uh, a, a simple drone. Um, and by drone, I mean like, a, or, or an ostinato rhythm or a pedal tone. Um, all of those things are pretty similar in the sense that they are kind of doing the same thing. An ostinato, which would be a repeated, repeated uh, rhythm pattern or harmony pattern that repeats over and over. Uh, a drone would be something like, you know, if you're at an organ, you could have your pedals hit down on a couple of notes or a pedal tone, which is like same thing. Um, so I'm going to do this at a piano this time. Um, and I'm going to use this, I'm going to use this tune. And I'm what I mean by unfold the melody slowly is like introduce several notes at a time. And so we, we have finished communion. People have just sung this, but I'm going to use just a couple notes at a time to let the melody, you know, three notes, then maybe seven notes, then maybe the whole phrase. And I'm going to keep a simple pedal tone. Uh, just because I think that's a really nice, effective way. Again, that was 20 seconds or so. And mm -hmm. all I did was, again, one phrase, one drone. Now, if I kept going, of course, that was 20 seconds. I would say, you know, maybe by the second or third phrase, you really should incorporate some kind of change. But that's an effective way to fill up. Uh, you can fill up a lot of time with just those couple of things, which I, I need to point out uh, another tip here, which is, don't worry about your time and don't worry about your meter. If uh, this piece is in three, four, and what I did was kind of in three, four, maybe sometimes four, four, I don't know. I wasn't really counting. Um, that's not important. Uh, in improvisation, uh, I, I don't think keeping a strict time is as important as ideas and feeling in the moment. Next up, this one I think is perhaps a, a very hard thing to do. And I'm going to go to uh, Curtis Stevens' Ready the Way, again, from uh, Breaking Bread. And this is, uh, again, one of the, one of the, I think, one of the big hurdles that improvising can be challenging 
is getting away from root position chords. Now, I just did a pedal tone and th those are really, really nice and effective. But one really great way to, again, create instability. And uh, for those of us who study music theory, inverted chords are inherently unstable because they don't have root position. You don't have the root in the bass and you don't have that perfect fifth element inside that chord. That's why diminished chords and augmented chords are also unstable because they don't have to have that perfect fifth. But a first inversion chord, so that's um, the third of a chord being the bass note, is inherently an unstable chord because there's no perfect uh, relationship between the chords. So let me play, um, I'm going to play everything, and there, there is a, there's a term for this, we'll get to that in a second, but I'm going to play the melody of Ready the Way, and then I'm going to stick a first inversion chord under every single one of those notes. That would be something like this. Now, combine this with a drone and you get a very cool sound. I made a mistake. <laughs> repeat it. Repeated it twice. Um, there's two two terms for it. It's uh, either full bourdon or it's called planing, as in the French impressionism style of Debussy. But that, and again, I, I made a mistake. I repeated it twice. <laughs> probably didn't notice and that, and that's and that, and there 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 just with a pedal tone i i took the melody not really in time i kind of am and it creates a really lovely lovely atmosphere you can also use second inversion chords um but i uh, uh you can take whole melodies and just stick them all in in first inversion and you just get this wonderfully sweet sound that again is kind of like again fitting for what i think is fitting for advent um uh which is like i want to hear a root position chord <laughs> i want to get to the <laughs> end and which is again that's uh, kind of like what advent does for us um you know and I, i'm sure most congregations aren't going to be sitting and go oh i see what they're doing um <laughs> but they're gonna feel it they're gonna feel right. it <laughs> ready the way Thanks so much to Ben for his time today. Tune in next week for part two of our conversation where we take the four tips that Ben has provided and then continue to deepen that experience and show more ways that improvisation can help you through your Advent music ministry. As we wrap up, here is the psalm upon which to reflect after hearing today's episode. It has come from the second Sunday in Advent. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. When the Lord brought back the captives of Zion, we were like men dreaming. 
Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with rejoicing. Then they said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad indeed. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the torrents in the southern desert. Those who sow in tears shall reap rejoicing. Although they go forth weeping, carrying the seed to be sown, they shall come back rejoicing, carrying their sheaves. For more information about this episode and to see the video version of this episode, visit the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. The recording of Ready the Way was produced by Oregon Catholic Press, and today's theme music for this episode was produced by Aaron Schaus. This episode of Ministry Monday was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next Monday. Monday.